switched on on F104 and I'm joined by Eric Berger, Senior Space Editor at Ars Technica. Hello, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Very good. Thank you so much for chatting to us. I think space is one of the most fascinating topics we can ever chat about. A couple of weeks ago, we mentioned Artemis and the crew and how they've gotten together and how they're training. But what is the situation with that at the moment? Well, you're correct. They have started training and, you know, really they are in a flow toward a launch um, probably in about a year and a half from now. Um, This will be a flight around the moon for four people, three Americans and one Canadian. And it's very exciting. It's the first time humans will fly out of low Earth orbit in more than 50 years. How long are they going to spend out there once they get there? Is it literally just they're just doing a loop? They are literally just doing a loop because it's called a free return trajectory. And and the reason they're doing that is if you go into orbit around the moon, um, then you really, you know, you're really relying on the spacecraft's engines to work to get you back to Earth. Mm -hmm. Um, And they just didn't want to take that extra risk on this mission. Um, So they're going to go out there. They're going to fly around the moon. They'll come back. It's going to be a little more than a week long trip. I also saw they brought out new space cars, so electronic zero emissions. They look almost like a bubble car. What will these do over there? Yeah, so, you know, during the space shuttle program, there was this thing called the Astrovan. It looked kind of funky, 1970s era technology that drove the astronauts to the launch pad after they'd suited up. And so these have to be kind of a specialized vehicle because the astronauts are in spacesuits as they go out there, flight suits, and they're, they're pressurized. So you need to be able to plug into that. Um, and, and so these cars are electric. NASA wanted to move into the 21st century. So they sent out a request for proposals and they came back with these kind of funny looking bubble cars, as you say. But they're all electric vehicles, zero emissions. And they're how the Artemis crews will get. From, uh, from the suit-up room out to the launch site, launch pad. Yeah, they look very cool. It does also look like something that would function pretty well on Earth as well. Yeah, well, NASA, you know, is concerned about climate change and emissions, and so they're taking symbolic steps like this. I mean, having electric cars for, a, you know, two to three kilometer journey to the launch pad does not save a whole lot of fossil fuels, but, you know, they're trying to send a message. Yeah, which is really good. I suppose something else that's been spoken about quite a bit is the Mars sample return program. They've been talking about this for quite some time. I've heard quite a few issues regarding money happening. What is the situation with it? Well, the situation is that NASA and the European Space Agency and some other partners have wanted to do this mission for a long time, basically send a robotic spacecraft to the surface of Mars, pick up some rocks and soil samples, and then launch a rocket from Mars back to Earth and the scientists here could study those samples. Um, it's always been a technically challenging mission, and now NASA is finding it's going to be a lot more costly than they had anticipated. You know, they've been working off a cost of about four and four and a half billion dollars. And based upon some recent reporting, I was able to find that actually the cost is probably going to be closer to nine billion. Wow. How do they go about even looking for funding or money for this? Well, NASA gets a, a good chunk of funding every year from the U.S. Congress. So it has a budget of 25 to $27 billion a year. And so it's, you know, what, what NASA is asked, saying, telling Congress they need to do is appropriate about a billion dollars a year to support a Mars sample return program that would launch in 2028 or by the end of this decade. And Congress has said, whoa, that's a lot more money than you asked for in the past. And we're not so sure about this. So what happens if they can't get the money? 
Well, right now, NASA's in the middle of a, doing an independent study of the current mission design. And Congress basically wants a budget that's firm and fixed and, and does not change a whole lot. And, and no one really has confidence that the current NASA budget will do that. Um, so NASA is going to complete this analysis. And then that report will be published late this summer, early fall. Everyone will look at that and decide if they think it's credible. And if the cost is too high, NASA will either sort of try to pare down the mission, pare it back a little bit, or it may actually get canceled. Which would be a shame. What do they hope to, and I, I'm assuming it will eventually happen because it would be a very shame if, if it didn't at all. But obviously they're going to have to look for soil and rock. What are they kind of hoping to find in that or learn from that? I mean, the main goal of this, this would be to confirm or not confirm whether life exists now or existed in the past on the surface of Mars. And if you were able to study these materials very closely in a lab, as opposed to trying to do so with a robot, you know, um, you know, billions of, of kilometers away, that, that you could you could sort of make a definitive statement. Like if, if we were going to prove that life once existed on Mars, chances are it would be some evidence for that would be in these samples. That that's the overarching goal. But a lot of scientists I talk to think that the odds of us actually finding life in these samples is fairly low. It would be, yeah, you see, it's so fascinating and it's so cool to kind of even think that there might be life or, or maybe at one point that there was life on a different planet out there. I'm assuming, what well, what are your thoughts? Do you think there was at some point life on other planets? It's quite possible, especially on Mars, you know, about 3 billion years ago, the surface of Mars looked a lot like Earth. There were large lakes, there were rivers. Um, the climate would have been temperate like like that on Earth. And so, you know, there is a school of thought that life actually initially developed first on Mars wow. and then, you know, then eventually made its way to Earth via an asteroid or comet or some other kind of feature. So it's 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 interesting to speculate that. And this would be really a way to ground truth a lot of those theories. Mm -hmm. You know, but it's complicated by the fact that, you know, NASA would like to send humans to Mars one day. And so Maybe it would be better to save the $10 billion and, you know, just have human scientists on the surface of Mars in 15 or 20 years. Oh, wow. How cool. Imagine being the first scientist on Mars. Oh, my God, that'd be so much fun. <laughs> that'd be deadly. It would be a kidney candy store. Yeah, that'd be so unbelievably cool. But also, it does look like us regular people will be able to take a flight into space very soon. Regular people go into space if you're if you have a you know a fair amount of money sitting mm -hmm. around. It's not it's not cheap. The, the current going rate um, is almost half a million U.S. dollars um, to go on Virgin Galactic, and there is no published price for Blue Origins mm -hmm. spacecraft, but it's probably closer to a million dollars. Wow, that's a lot. Would you go? I would absolutely. Um, you know the the nice thing about these suborbital missions is they're they're pretty short only about 10 minutes. So if you get to space and find that you're really sick, you're coming back very quickly. Um, it doesn't involve months and months of training. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a day or two of training. Um, and it's a pretty fantastic experience. Yeah. Um, but I don't have that kind of money. Mm. If someone listening wants to donate <laughs> it, then... I'll go too. <laughs> I would love to go. What sort of training would you need, do you think? Well, you know, for example... The, probably the most important training is, you know, it, the, the rocket or in Virgin Galactic's case, the spacecraft goes up and then you have three to four minutes of weightlessness. So mm -hmm. you've been strapped into your seat 
on the ride up, right? Very carefully before you take off. And then you unbuckle and you get out and you float around for a few minutes. And I think the majority of the training is, you know, just knowing when to get back in your seat mm-hmm. and making sure you strap back in because you don't really want to be, you know, out of your seat when the high G's come, the high gravitational forces come during the landing process. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Sounds like so much fun. I would love to experience that. How unreal would that be? But I suppose like all the time there's, there's things happening in space. Is there anything else that sticks out for you this week? You know, I would just I would just say that this is an extremely exciting time yeah. in space flight. You know, we had the space race in the 1960s and people got pretty excited about going to the moon and things like that. And then we sort of settled into this slower period. Um, but between commercial space flight and governments around the world and private companies, there's a lot happening in space. It's a very exciting time. So for me to pick out one thing out of many <laughs> is would be difficult to do. It will be. So we just need to keep an eye on everything that that's happening and and hopefully they will all happen once they get their money and their funding and everything they need. Eric Berger, Senior Space Editor at Airs Technica. Thank you so much for chatting to us. My pleasure.